Good morning. This morning I would like us to reflect on the contemporary significance of the first two verses of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the river. These are familiar words. I would like to think about them in relationship to some other familiar words in the first chapter of Genesis. In verse 24, Genesis writes that God said, Let us make mankind in our image, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth. Then according to Genesis, God directly addressed humankind and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now what are we to make of these verses of scriptures? Is the earth the Lord's? Or has God given over dominion of the earth to us humans? Is the earth really ours to subdue as we may choose? To begin, the psalmist affirms that the earth is the Lord's. Fundamentally, this is the theme of the whole of the first chapter of Genesis, and indeed the scriptures as a whole. We humans are really just one among many creatures populating the earth. We have received in great abundance powers and resources from the earth, even our capacities to cultivate the earth and to mine its resources are gifts. So are our capacities to use language and to develop tools. So the initial and the basic message of the Psalms as well as Genesis is that we are called and reminded to be grateful for the gifts we as creatures of the earth have received. The passage from the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy echoes this basic truth. The verse reads, do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my arm have gotten me this wealth. For it is, but remember, the Lord your God, it is he who has given you power to get wealth. Over billions of years, the earth has gone through many transformations, eventually bringing into being the world which we now live in, with all its resources and blessings as well as us humans with all our capacities and vulnerabilities. Exclaiming that the earth is the Lord's is another way of reminding us of the great gifts we have been given over as a result of the long history of the earth. The earth and its beauty, our lives and our capacities represent gifts, but they are not completely ours to do with as we might choose. In a deep and profound sense, our gifts and capacities represent potential possibilities and purposes that transcend us. We have been created for purposes that extend beyond ourselves. The passage in Genesis suggests, whatever other meanings we may attach to the words, that we are called upon to take care of and care for the earth. The Hebrew words for have dominion are words signifying human responsibility for governing well. So as agents and representatives of God, we are called to exercise responsible governance over the earth, which remains, after all, God's. Reflecting on these passages in Genesis three centuries ago, Jonathan Edwards, a Puritan preacher and theologian, wrote a small booklet titled, The End for Which God Created the World. From a theological perspective, why was the earth created? Edwards wanted to know. Why has it evolved the way it has? Edwards noted that nowhere in scriptures is there any suggestion that God created the earth or the heavens 
precisely for humans or for humans to use as we choose. It is a mistake to impose an anthropocentric interpretation on these verses. God created the world and the heavens for God's purposes, which remain God's to know and pursue. Edward said he created the, the world and the heavens for the glory of God. What we can know and we do know is that from our perspective, both the heavens and the earth represent gifts from which we have benefited in many, many ways. Furthermore, individually and collectively, we are called to take care of the earth as agents of God's purposes. The psalmist reminds us that the earth is the Lord. That means the earth is not ours in any way, in ways many of us humans have assumed. The point is eloquently made in a long passage at the end of the book of Job. Job complains about all manners of problems, the pains and the troubles from which he is suffering. Finally, Job is addressed by God. The voice says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you commanded the morning since the days began? Can you hunt for the prey of the lion? Contrary to the verses in Genesis, the book of Job observes, we might add today accurately observes, that humans have not and cannot really exercise effective mastery over creeping creatures, insects, viruses, movements of the earth, over the fish of the sea, over wild animals. To be sure, we can interfere, and we have interfered, with the earth and its biosphere in ways that can be and have been destructive. At the same time, in contrast, humans can and often have been able in modest ways to work with the forces of nature, and in the process we have learned how to cultivate crops, and domesticate a few species. As a result, increasingly, we are coming to... The scriptures remind us to be grateful for the powers and capacities we have, we have by the grace of God and to, we can develop and exercise. As most of us well recognize, we humans in general, at the present, are not taking care of the earth as responsibly as we might. For centuries, for the most part, humans took the earth for granted as an endless source of resources for our benefit. We have often thought of the earth as ours. In the process, we have often used the resources of earth unsustainably in ways that have undermined the carrying capacity of the planet. As a result, sometimes learning the hard way, we have suffered from disasters that the earth and its climate and biosphere have unleashed upon us. As a result, increasingly, we are coming to understand that indeed the earth is not ours. Rather, we are clever, caring, sometimes careless creatures of the earth. The earth is the Lord's. We are called to find ways to let the earth exist in the ways it needs to exist, not only so we can adequately perform these eco it can perform these ecosystem services beneficial to humans, but also so the earth can exist and flourish in ways that it needs to in keeping with God's purposes. The earth is the Lord's. How are we to interpret these words in relationship to the fact that many humans claim that portions of the earth belong to them? Humans make these claims both in relationship to notions of sovereignty and laws of property. On the basis of these notions and laws, we humans claim that particular territories, particular pieces of land are ours. 
If the earth is fundamentally the Lord's, then how should we think about the claims of sovereignty, especially when there are competing claims, as there are in a country like Palestine or there are in Canada today? This is not an easy question to answer. I think the basic answer remains that the earth is the Lord's. However, provisionally and in relationship to several reasonable conditions, it has been and continues to be useful to orient our lives, to orient our lives in ourselves to the earth in relationship to notions of sovereignty and property with respect to designated territories. As the population of the world increased and communities of people have settled, notions of sovereignty have functioned to help humans govern responsibly. The ideas of sovereignty identify designated parts of the earth which communities can especially call our own, can cultivate, take care of, and protect. But from the biblical perspective, the sovereignty communities exercise must be regarded as limited and conditional. After all, the earth is the Lord's. To begin to make sense of the questions about how these laws of property and notions of sovereignty can be settled, it is useful to recall that for tens of thousands of years, humans lived as migratory foraging communities. There were not many humans, so for most of the part, there were no, no real reasons to set off particular territories as the exclusive possession of particular communities. These notions emerged as the population increased and as communities developed agriculture. They functioned as an effective way of settling disputes and of helping people, communities, cultivate, take care of and protect the lands in their domain. At the various times, the ancestors of the people that became the nations of Israel and Judah had been migratory peoples. As the passage in Deuteronomy 6 makes clear, they eventually decided to settle in lands that were not presently their own, but were some were, were, but were lands that were their distant relatives, some of their distant relatives still lived, and through which their ancestors had for periods of time, hundreds of years before, herded their, their, uh, their animals and harvested crops. What right did these invading or settling Israelites have over the lands which the indigenous people living there felt rightfully belonged to them? Was the Israelite claim primarily based on their military prowess or the fact that they probably outnumbered the indigenous people? How are we to settle these claims of sovereignty today? How do we best determine when our governing authorities are exercising sovereign authority responsibly and appropriately? How do we determine especially in settings where different people, based on their histories, have made overlapping claims with respect to the same territories. There are no easy or simple ways to resolve these disputes. However, if the earth is the Lord's, and claims to sovereignty must be considered as provisional and conditional, then several comments seem relevant. One, Communities living in territories blessed with ample natural resources must find ways of welcoming refugees and other migratory peoples as the ancient Palestine, Palestinians eventually welcome the Israelites. Hopefully, we can do this without any party resorting to violence. 
This refugee issue is likely to become much more aggravated in the future, so we are forewarned to give a due thought now. Two, settlers and indigenous peoples must engage in ongoing conversations, exploring ways of resolving their complex disputes. We must spend time listening to each other. We must use our capacity for our instincts for compassion and justice, our powers of reason and imagination to try to sort out how to solve these problems. Three, it is vital that we set aside lands and waterways as public areas of benefit for all and especially as beneficial for the earth. Four, finally, all governing authorities have a responsibility to protect not only the people within their domains, as spelled out in the United Nations proclamation, but also the portions of earth falling within their domains. Rights of sovereignty are correspondingly conditioned by whether and in what ways governing authorities fittingly, fairly, effectively exercise their responsibility to protect as they attempt to govern their communities and the portions of earth within their domains. The earth is the Lord's. God has bestowed us with powers of reason and imagination, as well as instincts for compassion and justice. Out of gratitude for what we have received, and as agents of God's purposes, we are called to use these powers and instincts to care for the earth. This is neither a simple nor an easy task. It is, however, our basic human calling. Amen.